The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Uh, good evening, friends. It is the weekend, Saturday night, a delight. Indeed, to spend the next hour talking shop, the shop of money. That's what we do. So we got pet shop boys focused on currency. Why not? Uh, Richard Davis, former analyst with Canaccord. Um, I was delighted to engage with this gentleman uh, some 10 years ago and uh, developed a, a deep uh, learning and understanding of the tech sector through uh, his very, very wide lens. Uh, he left the company, left Canaccord a few years ago, and went on to uh, become the vice president of investor relations and strategy uh, for a very interesting tech company called Unity Software. The company gets engaged in uh, augmented reality, artificial intelligence. Um, who better to explain the company than Richard Davis? Uh, Richard, you know, my friend, thank you very kindly for spending uh, some time with us. Uh, Jack and I absolutely adore you. Uh, I told Kathleen, my wife, that you were coming on this weekend. She was very delighted. Uh, and I pass on my best wishes from her to you. Um, yeah, no, you, you, you're always just a terrific analyst to work beside, Richard. You gave Jack and I a lot of very good, actionable ideas that made our clients a lot of money. Um, and I miss you as an analyst. I really, really do. But I, I just know your DNA. And, and you do have your eye very broadly um, uh, with peripheral vision focused on tech. Obviously, you're focusing at Unity Software, but I know you're always looking at the big picture. So uh, why don't we start with your company first and foremost, Unity Software. Uh, describe again what your company does, um, the, you know, the, the next five to 10-year execution strategy. And obviously, you, know, you, like any many tech stocks, are going through some challenging times. Perhaps talk about that as well, Richard. Sure. No, well, thanks very much. And feelings mutual. I miss working with you guys on a regular basis, but it's great to catch up. So thank you for uh, having me on. So I appreciate that. Um, look, so Unity is kind of think of it as we're the, the, what we'd call the world's largest kind of development platform. And people use our software to what we call create, market, and run what we call real-time 3D and virtual worlds. And we're used in over half of all video games that are out there today. Uh, many blockbuster movies like Lord of the Rings and uh, Avatar, which in December you should watch Avatar 2 because our software built that uh, movie, so that'll be pretty cool. Wow. Uh, and then Beyond Games, and that'll be fun. And Beyond Games, we, uh, we also, our co companies use our tools to build kind of e-commerce, automobiles, uh, architecture, and aerospace, which is called, and something's called digital twins. So kind of think of us as a combination of like Adobe for 3D plus kind of Shopify for monetization. If you build something and you give it away free, we help you monetize it, which is the way a lot of games are built. And then Amazon AWS for kind of hosting. So, you know, the, the way the, the last way to think about it is the stuff that our software builds is what's called real-time 3D. And roughly, I don't know, 2% of the content out there is 3D. Most of the stuff, if you look on a web page, is either static 3D or just a 2D, what's called a JPEG file, which is a flat file. Um, we think half of all content will be 3D, uh, you know, in 10 years. And if that's true, that's a 25-fold increase in the addressable market. Um, it'll, it'll help us. It'll help 
I mean, it's going to require a million fold increase in uh, processing power. So it's, it's going to help companies, you know, whatever, like NVIDIA, Amazon, Google, all these guys that are doing the back end stuff, help them as well. So we're the tools on top that build the stuff. Those are the folks that run the um, engine. So that's kind of where we are. Um, and then lastly, we were founded 16 years ago in Copenhagen, headquartered huh. in San Francisco. And, la- and last year, um, we're, uh, we generated a billion one in revenues. Fred, uh, your company right now is worth about 12, well, $13 billion market caps. You're yeah. trading at 13 times revenue. Uh, and it's incredible. Again, the, the math and the valuation, uh, friends at home, uh, really changes from sector to sector. I cannot stress this point enough. Uh, you know, financial stocks trade at eight times earnings. Tech stocks, because of their hyper growth characteristics, trade on revenue, not necessarily earnings today, but future earnings. Uh, and that's what makes them so susceptible to movement in the bond market. Friends, as the show's Hi-Fi Radio. This is the high finance part of the show. I want you to bear with me because, again, Jack and I are just trying to uh, help you better understand movement in prices. Uh, and as such, those movements can often set up wonderful opportunity. Um, I, I want to pivot for a second, Richard, because you often spoke to Jack and I about the love-hate with both tech stocks and cyclical stocks and how money tends to move from tech to cyclical and back to tech <laughs> just based on its mood. And you, you, you very eloquently used to describe that mood change. Can you, talk, can you share that with the audience, please, Richard? Sure. So we used, to, we used to say that in bull markets, investors use telescopes, and in bear markets, <laughs> they use microscopes. <laughs> and so, and your point is right, because what happens is when bull markets are out there, everyone's like, oh, man, we got to look out two, three, five, ten years. And then in bear markets, they're like terrified and they look, you know, only at like what's happening in the next hour or what's, you know, what's happening over lunch. Um, that being said, we all know that you make the most money in bear markets, right? So that's where you can find dislocations and values and things like that. So, um, I mean, look, it's... Uh, and, and then the other thing I would say is, is, you know, the longer a trend has been in place, the more violent the reaction will be when it changes. And that's exactly what happened, right? We went from 20 years of hardly any inflation to a lot more inflation. And that was a big shock. So all those things kind of conspired to uh, cause a giant uh, shift to the left. And these things, you know, tend to tend to overshoot, right? So I would suggest that we're probably about right where everything's valued, you know, uh, sector wise, but, um, you know, maybe a little bit low, um, but they always kind of overshoot. And I mean, I guess what I would tell you is that I would look at kind of, you know, valuations and what inflation's doing, but we can drill down on that if you want. But uh, that's kind of how, if you're kind of thinking about investing in this space, I would look yeah, at no, it. Yeah, no, let's do that, Richard, please. Uh, again, uh, you, you understand the math best. Uh, let's go through it. Yeah. So think about this, um, you know, quick way to look at it is, um, you know, uh, valuations are a lot more reasonable, which is self-evident, right? Uh, if you kind of just look at the IGV, which is the software index uh, ETF, it, I think the valuation has gone from about 18 times revenues to about six times, you know, for the average company out there. So that's like a 10 year low. Um, the generals have all been shot, right? So you've seen, you know, Meta slash Facebook, Google, Amazon, Netflix, the fan guys have all been kind of crushed, right? They're down 30 to 50%. So they're down. Um, and then in the past two weeks or so, two and a half, three weeks, uh, you've seen the 10 year bond in the U S go from about, um, go down to 2.8 from 3.5. And the reason that matters is these are long duration assets. The lower interest rates 
help you pull out your telescope and put your microscope away. So, you know, what I think you should do if you're thinking about it is what you want to look at is one of the best tells for tech usually is semiconductors because they're probably the most efficiently priced sector out there and they're also highly cyclical. So what you want to see, you've heard this before, it's kind of stocks rallying on where bad news is good news. In other words, virtually certainly semiconductors are going to have crummy numbers because a lot of business is struggling. But if they start to rally off of that and you start to see positive relative performance compared to the market for semis, then that tells you, hey, maybe we're at, you know, we're close to a bottom. And then, you know, the way you'd get to that bottom, I think, is you just have to have the Fed re-anchor inflation expectations because people don't know, right? They're like, oh, my gosh, is it going to be 6%? Is it going to be 12? Is it going to be 15? You know, they don't know. So until you get the inflation expectations under control, which probably happens over the next three to six months, if that's true, then all of a sudden you migrate from stagflation to just an old-fashioned recession. And in recessions, you know, tech and software does well because there's a scarcity value to growth. So um, that's the goal. Now, if they can't get inflation under control, you're probably looking at another 30 or 40% downside. So it's still pretty tricky out there. Uh, Richard, you raised a lot of good points, and a point I, I was recently uh, that was brought to my attention um, is, is the um, uh, efficacy of the leading indicator uh, that the semis offer to the market. Uh, they have been one of the best leading indicators, uh, and as such, they're showing some signs of stability. And I, I like your point: uh, when some bad news turns into good news, uh, that will give you a very, I think, a clear green light. Uh, in terms of the the central bank in the United States, Jack, this is your your speak. Uh, Jack uses a basketball terminology called pivoting. Um, uh, Jack, t- talk briefly about the Fed. Say hi to Richard. Uh, welcome, <laughs> partner. Hey, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Richard. Richard, thanks for joining us. As Wolf said, we really uh, appreciate the time that we uh, that we spent with you at Canaccord. But uh, yeah, the Fed uh, and inflation, uh, interest rates matter a whole lot. Um, and right now, the uh, the markets have the Fed and central banks, the Federal Reserve, that is, um, around the world, uh, raising interest rates. And they, we already have that priced into the market. Um, into I think probably. Next week, Bank of Canada is going to probably raise 75 basis points or three-quarters of a percent. And towards the end of the month, I would expect the, the Federal Reserve to do the same. Um, so that's what they are doing. But what the market is doing uh, is, you know, the tenure is starting to come down. The tenure yield is starting to uh, get lower. Uh, you're starting to see, uh, just this week, you saw energy come down dramatically. Um, and all of that spells for uh, slower growth. Um, most likely a recession. Hopefully it's a, a relatively soft landing. But um, the market is starting to sniff out, I'm going to say, uh, peak inflation. Um, and when things get uh, less bad in, front, in, in terms of inflation, I think that gives a bit of a runway for a lot of these tech names that Richard is talking about, uh, just so that the fact that the, the discounting becomes a little bit more uh, normalized uh, once, once we see that the inflation has peaked out. Indeed. Well, we saw 30-year mortgage rates in America actually pull back for the first time in, in, in a number of years, I think by a quarter point. So certainly the direction uh, by the broad market is being recognized. And again, friends at home, you have to we, we cannot understate the importance of the bond market. The bond market is ahead of the central banks and the bond market took interest rates up 
ahead of the central banks and is, has already lowered interest rates ahead of the central bank. So uh, that is very, very important. And again, it does matter to tech. Richard Davis is joining us. Uh, he's the uh, vice president, uh, head of investor relations and strategy for a very interesting uh, artificial intelligence company, a 3D company, software company called Unity Software. Rich is a dear friend of Jack and I's and uh, it's a delight to maintain relationships with great people. That's what business is all about. And my friends, that's where the virtual world just doesn't cut it. It's nose to nose, toes to toes relationship development that allows for greatness to occur. We share that with you right here on Hi-Fi Radio. Quick break, get right back to the show. Stay tuned. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Welcome back, my friends. Fame and fortune, eh? Indeed, it's 2022. It's all about the experience, isn't it? All about the experience. Well, uh, Richard Davis's company, uh, Unity Software, uh, I think you certainly speak to that. Uh, Richard, it's all about the experience. Uh, one of our uh, favorite guests, uh, Richard, by the way, is a former broadcaster at BNN, uh, Mr. Michael Hainsworth. Uh, and he is mm-hmm. the ultimate tech geek. Uh, very familiar with your company. Very excited about your company as to what your company can allow, for example, the automotive sector to do and, and the power can put in the consumer's hands when, when comparable shopping or comparison shopping for product to product. Again, virtually, I guess, from the comfort of your own home, so long as you throw on a headset uh, and take a trip around the uh, meta, shall I say. Speak to that, Richard. Yeah, so that's um, interesting. The, uh, so, so what we think is actually happening is, although virtual reality is, certainly compelling and engaging and things like that. I mean, the math is, I don't know, 10 million headsets or something will be sold this year. And, you know, in any given year, there's, I don't know, close to a, a billion mobile phones are sold. And so what we, our view huh. is, is that a lot of the 3D um, stuff you'll see will just be on your phone. And all that means is you're just able to touch it spin it around and look at it, right? Zoom in, zoom out, this and, you know, you know, take it apart. And so one of the areas we've started to see a fair amount of interest is a lot of uh, kind of like luxury brands. And you can do that virtually. And that's just so much better than just looking at, you know, two, what we call two JPEGs in a video. So it's just a, just a much more engaging um, action. You know, so it's, it's no different than going from standard def to, you know, high def or 4k. It's just like, it's a better, Thing. So we're good at it. There's a handful of other companies like Epic, which is a private company, does a really good job in this space. Um, but there's you know a handful of people doing it, and uh, so we think it's going to be a big area. And it's just it's just it's inevitable. We'll either execute or not. But the fact is, is what we have to do is you know we're the leader in the space. We have to keep our leads going. Um, Richard, let's talk about um, data. <laughs> uh, computer science was not my forte in school. Uh, that said, I, you're forced to take a number of courses uh, throughout. And of course, as a student, I did. One of the first things I learned and has stuck with me um, when it comes to data is garbage in, garbage out. Uh, 
so important. <laughs> if you put bad stuff in, it's no different. I'm a chef. I love to recreationally uh, create through food. And if I use bad ingredients to start, I'm going to have a challenge to get you a good product. In the end, I, I like to, of course, focus on freshness. Um, and when you start with fresh, you end up with a better product. Uh, the world of artificial intelligence it relies on data, uh, mountains of data, and the digital world allows data to be collected, transmitted very, very efficiently. Um, <laughs> your company had a stumble, if I if I caught the story correctly, uh, with some bad data that affected your AI. Uh, speak to us about that, the, the process of gathering good sure. versus bad data and, and, and the ramifications of doing it right versus wrong. Yeah. I just think oh, driverless yeah. cars. I'm just thinking driverless cars. That's oh, sort of where I bring it to, oh, yeah. to, to your attention. Yeah. So it showed up on our what, what the side of our business is called operator, our monetization business. So the way, not to get too detailed, but the way games, most video games, especially mobile games are done is they give them away for free. And then you advertise into those games. Typically other game companies advertise into those games to get you to buy that game or something like that. Um, so think of it as like TV advertising. Every, you know, in a given hour, someone playing a mobile game will see four minutes of, of ads. So anyways, the way it works is what you're trying to do is find out who those people are that are most likely to download another game or buy an in-app purchase, which could be a new outfit or something like that. And so what actually happened was uh, we had a programming error. By one of our engineers basically that fingered a chunk of the data, so it kind of blew away you know, around, uh, ended up being about 5 to 10% of our data that fed these machine learning algorithms. And then we had a customer at the same time accidentally sent us the wrong data that fed these algorithms. And the way they work is they're kind of evolving in real time. And so what happens is if you get bad data in, then the outcomes become less accurate. So what really happened was is you would give us like $100 and you might expect $120 payback. Well, what turned out, and, and plus or minus 10% typically. And what actually happened was that plus or minus 10% kind of blew out to, I don't know, plus or minus 30%. So what happened was the accuracy of our network went down. Customers are like, hey, man, until you get your accuracy back together, we're going to spend less on your on your network. And so they went to a, uh, other networks and stuff like that. So what we had to do was fix the programming fix the data feed, which we've done. And then our goal now is to kind of get the business back on track, you know, by the end of the year, which is reflected in the guidance that we gave back in May. Um, Richard, let's go back, if we may, uh, about interest rates and inflation. Um, putting your, you know, academic cap on, uh, what's your view on inflation? Uh, is it contained and trending in the right, i.e. lower direction? Or does it really cause you a lot of concern? Again, as a tech uh, uh, Stuart. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I think you're still going to have some pretty scary prints over the summer. I mean, you have energy prices, you know, coming down just recently, but the, some of it's retrospective, the way these CPI things are calculated. So I think it's going to be a rocky next three to six months or so, hopefully less on the three month side. Um, but you're starting to see, you know, pockets of, of lower inflation, the risk you have to, Remember is, is that I used, one of the things I used to always say is that the plural of anecdote is not fact. So it, the point there is, is just because you see a few anecdotes doesn't mean that it's necessarily the you know what the real signal is. So I I think we're getting closer, um, but I do think you know look you you know you guys have been in this market for a long time as have your your customers and and 
there's times when the market tries to take money from you and there's times when you take money from the market. Right now, it still feels like the market's trying to take money from you, so you probably just try to put the defense on the field for a little bit. Don't, don't bail, but, I mean, I think be cautious and then start dipping your toe in when you start seeing those signs that are a little bit uh, better. So that's kind of our view. What about the semiconductor space, Richard? Um, again, instrumental to everything. Uh, we all feel it in the automotive sector. Anyone looking to buy a used or new car, the, the stumbling block is semiconductors of all things. Uh, so hard to believe, but that's just the way the yep. world has uh, evolved. Um, uh, you th- throw that into the equation and then crypto. Um, you know, yep. uh, taking it on the chin and then some, that affects the semiconductor sector because less demand for mining, I assume, crypto mining. Uh, can you speak to, can you speak to those two points, Richard, please? Sure. You know, so for us, at least working semiconductor companies, most, again, the guys that we would work, work most closely with would be like NVIDIA, who would be providing that, what's called a GPU, which is the underlying processing of the, the, the uh, drawings and the 3D objects that our customers build. So we have, you know, huge respect for them. They're a great partner and, and as are, you know, other people like, you know, whatever, Dell and Intel and stuff like that. So I think in, in pockets, the business is fine. Um, you know, in the automobile business, it's just a tight supply. We, we help automobile companies do is, is anytime you see those cars driving down the road and they're like, and they're in like a, they're not real. They're like fake cars and they're drawn in like a computer game and that's that's usually our stuff or if you go onto a website and doing a configurator for you know a bunch of the different car companies like volkswagen etc um those are typically our engines that do it um, very nice and then yeah and then i'm sorry the other part was semiconductor oh it's crypto the crypto we looked at it um so there was like this whole notion that you were going to use crypto to what's called pay to play so in other words you'd play a game and you'd get money like crypto stuff like that. It just felt like to us, we looked at it, um, you know, the valuations of these private companies were just outrageous. And we're like, I don't think so. So we're kind of letting the dust settle. There will be good companies that come out of that space. It's just, this reminds me a lot of 2000, right? There was, you know, 50 competitors to uh, Amazon, you know, there's still a decent number of competitors, but you know, a lot of them, you know, face planted. And so I think there will be real companies that come out of it, but boy, it's still uh you know, still pretty rough out there. Uh, Jack, you got a couple quick ones for our, our friend Rich Davis. Yeah, I just like Rich maybe to expand a little bit on that uh, the, the crypto uh, talk there. Just with the, uh, you know, you've been through dot com, uh, you've been through the meme stocks, you see, you know, investor huh. behavior around crypto. Um, can you maybe just draw some parallels because uh, you know the the themes change in terms of types of investments, but the investor behavior seems to remain the same. Yeah, and the. Uh, we're probably not quite there yet at this, you know, despondency. I, st- I still remember it's been like 2003. I was following software companies. I go into the morning meeting and, you know, recommended some software company. And the salesman said to me, Davis, listen, find a software company is about as dumb as going into a burning house. You know, so I went to my home to my wife and I said, all right, well, one of two things are about to happen. Either A, I'm about to be fired. Or B, we're at the bottom. And uh, so yeah, I don't know if there's people telling you it's as dumb as buying a burning house or moving into a burning house. But, I mean, you, you're almost there. I mean, as I said, you may not be able to maybe at the bottom, but you probably see it from here in that space. But it's, uh, 
again, they'll be winners, but it's you probably still have to go through a little bit more pain. And, and uh, until it's like this really hated, you know, that's when you can buy. And you've heard some, uh, obviously, uh, crypto exchanges and the likes um, going bankrupt uh, just most recently. And then also stable coins blowing up. Um, do you see systematic risk in the um, or systemic risk in the crypto space that could, uh, in fact, I guess yeah. the real economy and, and cause a, I'm not going to say a 2008 type financial yeah. crisis, but uh, right. certainly uh, uh, expand beyond the crypto universe. That's a great question. Um, and we, you know, I thought about it. I mean, maybe. I mean, it's probably not big enough to trip us up. But your point, taken more broadly, is really good in my opinion, is that uh, another way that you could see the Fed, you know, kind of take its, uh, you know, grip off the the economy in terms of squeezing it would be you get one of these kind of completely orthogonal random blowups, right? So if you kind of go back in history, I don't remember, I think in the 70s, it was like continental Illinois, then you had like the SNLs, then you had, you know, um, whatever orange county go bankrupt in like 20 or 1994 you know the housing etc if something just like out of the blue just blows up who knows what hedge fund who knows i don't know um you know maybe that's the sign that you've kind of reached uh you know peak uh distress and and that would probably be a typically a buying opportunity it wouldn't be pretty the day of but i think that's what you'd look for Richard Davis, Vice President, uh, Head of IR at uh, Unity Software, former analyst, uh, tech analyst at Canaccord, Genuity, a very, very dear friend of uh, Jack and mine. Uh, an absolute delight, my friend, honestly, uh, a true delight. To just love the way you think. I, I do wish you success. I know it's uh, in front of you. Okay. It's coming. Um, so uh, we're going to continue to uh, stay close to you, my good friend. Uh, be safe, and uh, you have yourself a great weekend, Richard. We're going to have a chat with Rafi. Tamazian, uh, he is uh, one of the finest uh, oil managers uh, on Bay Street uh, with Canoe Financial. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break, get right over to Rafi and talk oil. My friends, stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is, swimming pools, movie stars. The Beverly Hillbilly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, all those actors are getting little royalty checks right here. They say, who's playing our song? Why do we get this six cent check in? I actually had a friend of mine uh, write a jingle for the Blue Jays. Uh, and um, yeah, they, say, they played the song and every month he would get about a $38 royalty check in. So as long as we play 30 seconds of that song, Chorus has to send a little check out. Well, it goes to SoCan, and then SoCan redistributes it. It's it's complicated. It's an old system, but it works. It does work indeed. Uh, when we play that song, that's Rafi's song, Rafi Tamazian, <laughs> who is amazing. Uh, the oil guru uh, of Bay Street, situated in Alberta, Calgary. 
Yeah, he's at the stampede. I hope you get some dust in your face with cruelty to animals. Cruelty to animals, I have to say. <laughs> but, well, hey, they like it. Yeah, they wouldn't like me when I told them that. They'd kick me out of the stadium with their cowboy boots, I'm sure. I, I find it cruel. You know, I, I, I have to share that. I got a dog. I'm a dog owner. I like animals. I like people. But I like, I like, I like my dog more than most people. I have to admit that, too. But the, I, I do find the, the, the stampede a little cruel. I watched it once on television. I didn't want to watch it again. It's a good, it's a good time, though. You, you, you obviously enjoy yourself at it, eh, Raph? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I would argue to you that it's part of a culture and identity, uh, uh, Albertans, that, uh, you know, we're all very proud of, frankly. And uh, yeah. I, understand, I understand the issue, obviously, around the cruelty and, and all, but like any, any culture anywhere, we all have to respect each person's situation. And it's, they're all different places that we all act differently. And like I said, it, it helps create your identity. And we have multiple identities in this federation that we call Canada. And, uh, you know, part of ours is this rodeo and even this, uh, this country, lifestyle and another part of it is the energy business and they are both just violently opposed by other parts of the federation today and uh and it's been a challenge as a result as to be an albertan but there there needs to be an awareness and a respect for the identity that we what we call our identity yeah, very poetic, Rafi. Very poetic. Kudos. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Rafi is, is, is a manager uh, of oil assets. Uh, he's a portfolio manager, uh, and he runs uh, the Canoe Energy Fund. It's a very successful fund, uh, highly uh, revered on the street. Uh, if anyone knows oil, uh, it is Rafi. Uh, Rafi, uh, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember watching John Embry. Uh, one of the gold gurus of Bay Street. And uh, in the bull markets, he was a star. In the bear markets, he was a dog. And I guess yeah. it's the same for you, eh? You know, you, you get the media calls and you get the love when oil is ripping and roaring. And when people say, ooh, oil? No, no, electric, Rafi. Ooh, oil? And, and it's incredible. Uh, Rafi, again, I have to ask you, and I'm probably the wrong guy to ask because you, you were just too obvious, but... When oil went negative, and again, friends at home, you have to appreciate, oil sold, <laughs> they, 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 people were being paid to take oil off tankers because the tanker had a leave port and there were no buyers for it. You remember when paying 45 cents at the pump? Uh, and of course, the Albertans must have been like, oh my God, I must have been a very dark period of time for, for you and, and the whole province, uh, which we do rely upon very much for competitive oil prices in this country. We have to uh, certainly give respect where it's due and as a key co component of tax revenue as well for the federal and provincial government. Um, but uh, boom, bust economy, always has been, always will be. But oil going negative, Rafi, what was going through your mind at that period of time? You know, by that point, uh, oil going negative was not of any issue to us. We were more excited that huh. the rebalancing of the market had occurred and that there was going to be a significant change in the supply uh, system. And, and we were going to suddenly become undersupplied as opposed to oversupplied. And that, that negative trade on oil was a, uh, not a physical market trade. It was a derivatives market trade. And it was really the end of the market where uh, the physical market was not in control. Any physical market was going to be in control. 
derivatives were going to diminish and have less control over the market. Rafi Tamazian, always, always insightful. Uh, look, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I want to stay on the oil theme. It's just such a key, key sector. And of course, it's been the only sector to make investors money this year. Uh, question is, where do we go from here? No one knows best than Rafi uh, Tamazian. Canoe Financial, stay tuned. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Welcome back, my friends. Rafi Tamazian is on the line with us. Uh, he's one of the finest oil managers in Canada, uh, situated out in Alberta, works for Canoe Financial as their oil uh, lead portfolio manager. Uh, Rafi, uh, boom, bust, boom, goes crude oil. Uh, it has been quite the decade, I must say, for your sector. Um, tell me, much better now? Are you walking on sunshine? Uh, and more importantly, where does the commodity and oil stocks go from here six months 18 months three to five years what's your prediction yeah we we've really seen uh the the period of oversupply uh demand has been continually growing and getting more robust but through this last decade of oversupply environment that was a very advantageous thing for the growth market to take advantage of the inflationary environment, the low interest rates, all that stuff was just playing out perfectly, the perfect storm for growth. You now flip it around, and all of that lack of investment in these old economy goods, um, the, the, the laissez-faire attitude, is going to come back to haunt the economy. And so it's really going to be what we would call a recession-proof type of investment. Um, you're going to see the, the, the kind of destruction in demand required to slow the the uh, rise in oil prices would, would would triangulate to a pretty significant recession uh, for that to happen. So we just don't put a lot of weight on that, and um, the, the, the the process to try to rebuild the global supply through changing people's attitude and realizing that we're addicted to fossil fuels. And that is going to have to be a part of the climate change initiative. Uh, that's going to take a decade to work on. We, we aren't just going to, we don't just flip a switch and turn on volume again. There's no caps to turn on here. This is a real structural problem that has gone on for seven, eight years. The super majors spending is down dramatically. The, uh, the producers have all converted into these bank machines now instead of drilling machines. Um, they're distributing money. They're not growing volumes. And the demand is growing out of control in this deglobalizing world. So all of this is playing out for the long term. Very, very positive for the sector. And I would strongly recommend people think about owning it 
as a hedge against these enormous costs that are coming to everybody's household. Well, again, and Jack and I have been talking about this on the show for a number of months now, this whole ESG theme, uh, you know, environmental, social governance that is, you know, but now part of a corporate mandate to get more ESG friendly um, has really taken investment out of the oil patch. And again, when, when Rafi said to you, friends, that spending is down, what he means that is the oil companies are not looking for new barrels of crude. They're running their wells lower without replacing those barrels. And at some point, those wells go dry and those barrels, therefore, don't come to market. Do you truly see the potential for a real impasse causing a spike in crude like we've never seen before or have we already gone through that phase of dislocation supply demand yeah the way i explain it to people is the prices over the short term here are going to be up and down but there are going the direction over the medium term is definitely up so you're going to see massive volatility because what happened here is going in, into COVID, the rebalancing and the fact that supply started to, to become lower than demand, it allowed OPEC to be back in control of the market. And they had some excess supply, so they could control the market as the price rose. But what happened in February, March, we noticed OPEC was no longer fulfilling their quotas anymore. So they no longer had the oil they said they had. Hmm. Today, today OPEC produces 2.8 million barrels a day less than their quota. Less Ooh. than their quota. OPEC. So they're not even producing what they say they're producing. Everybody thinks there's this excess production. I'm giving you the facts. They don't have it. And so they are no longer in control of the market now. So the market is now spiraling up and out of control, as opposed to typically when we're oversupplied, it's spiraling down and out of control. Now it's spiraling up and out of control. And it will spiral and, up and out of control and destroy the economy ultimately. Right, but Rafi, again, again, and Jack prompted me to a couple of these questions, uh, but the, the war in Ukraine, uh, the Russian supply, I have to ask you, what has happened to those Russian barrels, in your opinion? Someone's buying them. They, they haven't shut the Russian wells down, so someone's got to be buying those barrels. Or, or they're just, no, I'm not kidding, or they're just stockpiling. My sense is China's buying those barrels at a deep discount. Russia has become the Canada to America uh, as it plays out uh, the same scenario, differentials, i got to assume. But speak to us about Russia and its influence on the more macro landscape for energy prices over the next three to five years? Yeah, Jack knows how to press my buttons there with that question. So <laughs> what, we're trying to, what we're trying to explain to people and understand is that the OECD world, as we're deglobalizing, we're going to be the non-OECD and the OECD, or the East and West, or the developed and undeveloped. And the, undeveloped, the developed world where we live in, we produce 30 million barrels a day but we consume 45 million. That means we are dependent on the non-OECD for our power, and they are gonna use it against us, and our elevated energy security risk is, is elevated dramatically as a result. And if people doubt that that's the case, just look at what happened in the Ukraine. Putin would not have invaded Ukraine if he didn't have the power through the oil. And you can see how 
the sanctions are on us, not on him, frankly, is how you should look at it. And so <laughs> he, he used oil as a weapon of war against the OECD world to get what he needs. And now you've got Kissinger saying, just give him what he wants. He wants those oil-rich regions. Just give it to him now. That's the only answer that seems plausible in the G7. And so, yeah, the, the oil was used as a weapon. Now it's going to be um, a world that we, because we do not produce what we need, if, if, if Putin is selling his oil to these brick countries cheaper, that's going to give them a, a, a better, a much elevated advantage from an economic perspective than the, than the OECD world that we live in. We're going to be paying higher prices for power. He's be, going to be giving his oil cheaper to China and India and Brazil and other countries that are in the brick that are going to accentuate their economy while we are going to be uh, depleting our economies through elevated prices. That's what we see happening over the next little while, and we should be very concerned about that. Rafi, can you, uh, in the interest of time, we got about 60 seconds, can you give us a, a one of your top picks in, in the more blue-chip uh, category for, again, longer-term investors with a three- to five-year time horizon? Where would you be placing some investments right now? Believe it or not, it is still the most blue-chip names are still the lowest-risk, highest-return opportunities. So stick to um, Canadian Natural Resources and even Suncord. Uh, Synovus, those are all very powerful names. They're still the vast majority of the index is made up of those three names. I would own um, a pumper on the service side because we're going to need services desperately to maintain this uh, appetite. So own something like a tri-can and then precision drilling for the drilling side. You own those five names. You own the blue chip service and oil producers. If you want to play in the gas sector, then you want to own Tourmaline and Arc, and you've got yourself rounded out to a very unsophisticated, very blue-chip uh, positions. And even with where the market has gone in the last year and a half, these things still stand out as excellent, low-risk, high-opportunity uh, situations. You don't well, see deviate too much risk from that. No, and C&Q and Suncor currently are just pumping out cash uh, with no end in sight and, 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 and well-managed businesses, sound balance sheets. And, and, yeah, they're broken yeah. bank machines. They're broken bank machines. <laughs> yeah, literally... and, 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 yeah. No, the world still doesn't like them. The world still doesn't like the energy space, believe it or not. We're, we're under-invested energy, I think. Jack and I are over-invested. Over, we have about 20% energy weight right now, Rafi. And <laughs> the contrarian comment I made two days ago was, oh, I got too much oil, it's hurting me. Snap! Two days later, straight up. Uh, it's a volatile sector, but uh, you, you just have to think longer term. We are going to keep consuming oil in five years and seven years and eight years. And supply and demand... Those laws never change. It's a very tight market and demand continues to rise. Uh, so I do think it is a sound investment, but not without volatility, which can be your friend if you know how to interpret it. Uh, Rafi Tamazian, always amazing. Canoe Financial Energy Expert Portfolio Manager. You want a diversified basket of energy names? Uh, Canoe Financial uh, is a very, very wise choice. Jack and I have always said that. Uh, you have yourself a great weekend. Uh, enjoy your beautiful project. 
province. Uh, perhaps I'll ski with you in Banff one day. Jack, great oh, job with the guests. Outstanding, outstanding show. I'm very pleased with the execution. Uh, each and every Saturday, Hi-Fi Radio, show about money. Jack and I are here to help you grow your wealth. Any questions for us? WolfgangKlein.com. Stay safe. Have an outstanding weekend. We'll speak to you next weekend, 7 p.m., 640 Toronto, Hi-Fi Radio. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.